just to start off our time together, I want to read a couple of verses from the book of Matthew, um, from Jesus speaking on the Sermon on the Mount. And bear with me, this probably sounds a bit extreme, but we'll work through this this morning. Matthew 7, 13 to 14. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Not sure where that lands this morning. I was sceptical of using those two verses to start off my conversation about reframe, to start off a conversation about our focus gatherings for the year. But I wanted to ask a question this morning. And it's going to frame the rest of our time in the story together. And so that question is this. What does it mean to find life? We're starting with the philosophical. This is what happens when I spend time with Justin. We start getting into the philosophical pretty early on. Now, there's two bits of this question I want to explore a little bit. One is the word find. Maybe what comes to mind in this question, this word find, is a past story. A past experience where life was found. Or perhaps it's a, it's a question that leads to a yearning, a present looking, a present possibility. And then, well, what is life? Is it is that just breathing and being and living, or is there something a little more to it? Perhaps it's the idea of living well. I know that for us as a community, we talk highly of the word shalom, the notion of living well across all parts of our being, whether that's in physical health, whether that's in our intellectual understanding or our spiritual faith. It's, it also could, is right relationship with others in a social sense, as well as emotional health. And we have hope in shalom, this hope in living well across all parts of our being, and we have this hope through Jesus. I wanted to go through some Matthew 7, it's because it's, we're talking about the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus begins a story about what it means to live differently. For Israel, what it means to live under different rule, under a ruling God that had been there the whole time. A, a rule based not on the principalities and authorities of that time, but on something different, and how much we need that now in our present day. Thanks, Justin. And as part of this shalom, and as part of embodying this shalom, there's a call. It's not just something we receive, it's not just hope that we take in. It is hope that we extend. It is hope we have a reason for. I look to First Peter 3, talking about that we're always being prepared to give a reason for the hope that we have, always having an answer if someone asks. It's not just hope for ourselves. It's not just shalom in our own being in our right relationship with God. It's how that extends to the world around us. And so this morning, what I want to ask the question of finding life is in three different contexts. Firstly, in, our, in finding life and helping others find life. Secondly, in how each of us look to find life under shalom. And thirdly, what it means to find life together. So I'll stay away from the philosophical questions and get to one that hopefully 
has a little more understanding and that is well what does it mean to help others find life and why I say it's easier is well I think we're in a rhythm and time of doing that you know a mosaic over the next six eight weeks if hopefully the restoration team get I get this right this pitch hopefully but over the next six eight weeks we're in a time where we're extending an invitation to those outside our midst outside these four walls to people that are friends colleagues neighbors etc we want to have conversations about creating hope there are all the reasons outside of ourselves and in this world that we have to not have hope to be skeptical to be stubborn to be proud to not have hope and against aspirations surface level aspirations of popularity of perception and of performance we, we know through our stories that there's something deeper in the works here there's something deeper about belonging about connection and so we have these conversations we've set out films we've set up poetry interviews we've set out the mere practice of creativity to awaken those around us to the possibility of there being hope to the possibility that this is not the end that the end is not someone's story the end is not someone's experience that's been held down tightly for such a long period of time that there can be hope in those stories there can be hope in our feelings and our emotions and our mental health and well-being and we hope that by having these conversations people may draw closer to how we see hope in the context of Jesus in the context of his story stories carried out through scripture and in present day through the Holy Spirit and we do this together I'm pretty sure I'm looking at a few of us going I'm pretty sure we're not expecting the restoration team to do all these events by ourselves it's something that we unite and we have this common vision to reach the outsider to reach those outside our midst and that's a collective effort and I know that I'm really keen and hope others are too to be present to have conversations to invite others that we do this not in our individual merits but we do that as part of a wider community but yet in all this planning and all this that I'm hearing and all the excitement that comes with this this series and outside of a Sunday I've been wrestling with the question over a zero pieces of paper and over post-it notes it feels like it's the mosaic way of creating ideas these days but it's a question of this how do we create hope in others if we haven't created that hope in ourselves how do we talk about shalom and finding life if perhaps our notion of hope our notion of life is strictly intellectual is strictly spiritual it's strictly in certain parts of ourselves without being part of the whole what life what hope are we inviting others into if we're limiting that possibility inside ourselves hence why I want to have a chat this morning about what it means to find hope in each of us and I've got some stories to share about that personally um, when I think about when I reflected for this week and thought about what stories stood out there's a certain line on a certain night that rings out it's a 21st it was the night that was this big celebration that I'd planned but felt at odds with it 
I lined up people to speak, to share these stories about me, and yet I didn't really believe it, and I didn't really think it was all that true, and I thought anything complimentary about me was sort of a myth. Anyway, so a friend gets up and shares, and she starts sharing this poem, and then I'm just kind of freaking out, going, why has someone wasted all their time on me to, to write creative poems on my behalf? Okay, sure, we'll, we'll just see how this goes. I don't remember all the lines, but I remember the sentiment, and it went something along like this. Jeremy, you give so much for others in spite of being so low. Now why that line rings out to me now, seven years later, in a slightly different reality that I'll talk to shortly, is because to me, if you ask me when I was 20 what the answer was to finding life, I thought it was just giving out. I thought it was just sacrifice, I thought it was just to give to others, to let others find hope, to encourage, to spend time and energy and resource finding hope and giving others the opportunity to do so. It looked selfless on the tip of the iceberg, it looked selfless with good intent, with good motivation, it made sense, but the difficulty was that Underneath that iceberg, underneath the conscious decisions that I was making, lied a few deeper stories. And this is kind of what I wanted to share. To me, giving out and doing lots for a church and doing lots in ministry and doing lots to help others in different contexts was a distraction from the painful realities that I grew up in. I think, I don't remember a, a time, I think as a kid, there would be panic attacks on a regular basis, anxiety would hit me in very different ways. I was very sensitive to words, to actions against me, whether that was family, whether that was schooling, whether that was a whole bunch of scenarios. The mere odds of becoming an adult or having a job or being independent struck such sensitivity to me that even contemplating it was meant days in bed, basically not really knowing what I was doing. And it was vague, it was, it was immersive, it was vague, and it was difficult to navigate. So to distract myself, it was easier if I could just think about everyone else. Because going, looking behind me and looking at the past that I needed to navigate was just, it was too difficult to bear. And in some ways, it was one point I think early university, I just tried to suppress my past story by thinking about a model of slavery. Thinking that it was easier if I knew my identity in the world was based on what I did for others and I was bonded to that without thinking any deeper about what was behind me. And tied into that was this notion of belonging to me, that I had to be more than normal, more than what others expected to be accepted at all, to be loved, to belong in a place. And that's a story that carried on to me for such a long period of time. And so when I, answer, when I think about the question of what it means for each of us to find life, I'm hoping that based on my experience, the answer to me would be journeying inward. To journey to places where there is no hope, where there appears to be no hope, where there appears to be an end so that God may enter in. 
to give grace to the stories of our past. Stories that lie deep in the subconscious, unbeknownst to us, without terms, without definitions, but simply the stories themselves, and that we could appreciate the framings of those stories, the origins, where they come from, the family and families and culture context and all the things that make up that particular framing and that particular story whilst allowing God to enter in with something a little different. And so it's not just an inward journey that identifies, it's not just an inward journey that sees and provides grace, but also aims to restore. Now, one thing I've been wrestling with, I think for the last year since our last retreat together, where we talked about restorative justice and restorative practices was this. This quadrant of different words and somehow involved a conversation at NEO. I don't know if we actually did that and had coffees at NEO and you know funded Luke's business with, with conversations, but um, I wonder if that happened. But nonetheless, we talked highly about this last year. We talked about this, I call it a matrix, these four different words in terms of conflict resolution. It's trying to fix unclean air between us and others on our y-axis, if I get my math out, on the y-axis, we have control, we have limit-seeking, we have truth-telling, we have, in some ways, discipline. You could frame it as judgment, but I'm, it sounds a bit, um, what is the word? I haven't got the word, but anyway. On the other side, we have support, the support axis, talking about encouragement, talking about nurture, talking about helping someone through a situation in hopes that there would be change in sort of an indirect sense. We've got direct and indirect. We have the not conversation, we have the ignorant, neglectful conversation, that isn't actually a conversation, it's just sort of leaving things as is. There's that punitive conversation where we're wanting to say the truth and speak it out, but not necessarily be available to help others. There's the opposite of just helping others with their situations without actually speaking the truth, without actually being direct in what's aggrieving me or what's aggrieving others, and then there's that with conversation involving coffee, involving time, involving a whole lot of listening, and it just being complicated. What I want to propose this morning is when we talk about each of us finding life in our untold stories, and in our inward journeys, I wonder if that model can apply. If we were to look at our untold stories with neglect, or if we were to look at our untold stories and permit them, to exist and to permit them to be present. I'm not so sure how that looks. Um, I guess one of the, the books that takes me from that story I just shared to now is a book called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality and that sort of framed my passion for the series. In that book, Pizza Zero writes that it is impossible for someone to be spiritually mature if their emotional health isn't in order. And when we talk about untold stories and secrets, he goes on to say that our fear of bringing secrets and unseen behaviours into the light, however, drives many people to prefer the illusion that if they don't think about it, that it somehow goes away. And I snicker because the next statement, I, I would definitely believe this, that, well, it does not. Unhealed wounds open us up to habitual behaviours against God and against others. And so when I think about Matthew 7, and the wide road that leads to destruction. Perhaps in this context, the wide road may be leaving our untold stories lie, 
permitting these untold stories without looking for a different framing. So that's the bottom half done. Um, if I look at the top corner and the punitive conversation, I think there can be merit in speaking the truth to these stories and, and overtly saying what those framings are. But for me, and I hope I'm not the only one, speaking that type of truth to that type of subconscious story where there's full of emotions and feelings and difficulty left me with more fear and guilt and shame than it was worth. Um, and so I found that even though I, I see value in that judgment, that truth-telling conversation, I'm just not sure how that goes. And so you take out three quadrants and you're left with the fourth, that being, well, a restorative conversation, one that isn't time poor, one that involves listening to our stories, one that involves support, one that involves investment, one that involves time with the view of moving forward, with the view of looking at things differently, with the view of me and my story that is, was wrapped up in fear, wrapped up in a past that I did not breach. That story, seeing some form of difference. And I believe part of that involves a giving up, involves a kind of a death in a way that for us to move on towards hope we have to, as we talked about last year with, with the Advent series this idea of we have cynicism we have our doubts we have scepticism and the way and so it has to move in some form or, or another something has to move on something has to be grieved something has to be mourned for the hope and the experience of hope and comfort that comes only from God. To rest, to dwell, to abide for us to live well. Now I say all this given my last week has been pretty challenging and I've been reminded of all this backstory in the midst of some challenging conversations with friends, with family and a work environment that have been difficult. And it's tough. I mean yesterday I was looking at this talk going what have I, what merit do I have to say anything? Is, has anything changed? What has happened to these stories? And what I was reminded by in reflecting was that there is a difference. Restoration doesn't necessarily mean completeness. Hope doesn't necessarily mean, mean everything's fixed. It can, but it doesn't always mean that. But as long as there's a, a movement a change, a process, a direction forward, then perhaps that is the hope in itself. I think of a waves analogy. I think of the behaviours I had in the past just being overwhelming, these massive waves that just cause rolling and rolling under the surface. Whereas I look on it now, with time, with listening, with collaboration, with seeking the right help at the right time, and it being sort of the waves that Luke navigates at Castle Point, as he did a few weeks ago. Waves that are sort of, you can surf, you can boogie board, you can, they, they may feel uncomfortable for the first time, but maybe they're just a little different than what they were before. But I did think of one thing this week. As I sat there vacuuming, I think, I was tidying up on Friday. I got home and I was just going, I can't think, I can't process, the week's been difficult. All right, let's get a vacuum cleaner out. 
Why not? Okay. And then the vacuum cleaning, and then the detail of trying to get couches cleaned and carpets cleaned and all this part of my conservatory cleaned. I realized I forgot one thing in all that, in all my past story and all the residual impact that there was today, and that was to get in this. Restoration isn't just something that I have to carry myself, it isn't something that I have to self-soothe my way out of or believe it's just between me and God, but actually requires togetherness. It requires us. It's not just serving others independently, it's not just serving myself independently. It requires community. So what does it mean then to find life together, to read, to post something, to do something different, than what we know, and I look back to last weekend. Um, I still think of last, last Saturday night, where we sat down in a circle, we told stories, and there was hope, and there was unity, and there was laughter, and there was some swearing, and there was just honesty. And honesty around what it meant for each of us to come to Mosaic, and to join in on this shared journey. There was pain to get here, there was different experiences that were wounds to get here. There was other reasons for being here. There was a similarity in how we ended up in this place, but different because we all had a different story. We all had a different specific reason, a different moment, a different tipping point. And that's what we want, that's what I want, that's what we want Reframe to be. This moment that we have every fortnight in these focus gatherings to hear stories to hear stories of hope, just as much as we're talking about awakening those around us to the prospect of hope, we want to be awakening our sense of hope, our sense of inward story and untold story, every fortnight over the slot that we have while the kids are hearing stories of Jesus. Especially in the context of Lent, where we're asked to give up something, something of worth to deepen our connection with God, to deepen our connection with Shalom and I don't know about you but chocolate and coffee does one thing but maybe this is the time for us as a community while we're serving the other while we're connecting with the other to give up something inside of us that maybe sits in our past sits in a vague detail I know that some of us have done that work already and some of us are starting afresh for the first time but nonetheless, I believe there will always be something inside ourselves that we can always be looking to give up. And so to awaken, to listen, to define these stories and to understand, I think that's part of our practice, not only inside ourselves, not only in our community, but also in terms of the other, in terms of the outsider, to be able to have the answer to hope, to why we have hope. I think there's something cool about that. Now I know that we're about to enter into communion and so I hope, I just hope that everyone's got a gauge as to why we do reframe, why we want to look at this thing, this story differently because we have a context, we have a, a reason, I mean we, we're going to share this very shortly around bread and juice, to be reminded of the blood of Jesus, of being awakened to something new and something different. Cool, thanks.